about Kiki Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas. And today, it is the last episode of season two of Debaki Rambles. And I have, I'm so excited to talk about this drama. And I'm so excited to introduce my guests because it's multiple guests, all from the same podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mina, Punam, and Sankita from Crash Landed on K Dramas. Hello, ladies. How are you? Hello, Hello Jess. Thank you for having us over. <laughs> I'm so happy to to have you guys here and we're it's pretty much a global podcast at this point because you guys are in India and in the UK and yes. then I'm in Florida which is like it's nuts <laughs> I'm so glad that technology can bring us together absolutely absolutely we so, are very happy to I don't know here. I am so excited. I'm like really excited for you guys to be here because we're going to be reviewing a very special K-drama that I think has touched a lot of people, especially here in the States, because it seemed like the reviews were pretty good for this drama. But I really wanted your perspective because the drama we'll be reviewing is Pachinko, and that is based on a book that I have not read. So I really wanted your perspective. And I would like basically begged you guys to come on the podcast <laughs> because you guys are wonderful. Plus you guys had read the book. True. <clears throat> so you guys are coming at this from a totally different perspective. Yep. Mm-hmm. Completely different so perspective. Before we get started. Yes, you guys. And we were talking before we got on, yes. the, on the podcast and I was like, oh, um, you you guys are really going to have something to say. So I'm excited. <laughs> but before we start, uh, Jess, I, w- I just wanted to ask you, uh, did you find that this is like any other K-drama? No, no, no. This is, first of all, well, we'll get into we'll it, but get I into don't it. Yeah. consider this a K-drama. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into it. So, you know, before we get started, I always ask this question of my guests just so that people can get to know you guys better, just in case I haven't listened to your podcast before. So this is like background on your K-drama. What was your first K-drama? Mine was like many people crash landing on you when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. That's how I got started. <laughs> Mine Sangeeta. was uh, Love in Her Bag, or it's also called Her Bag. Uh it's a quite old drama. I don't remember which year it was in, but that was one of the few dramas that was available on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Poonam? Mine was uh, Coffee Prince. Again, I had read a book, mm-hmm. Coffee, uh, Coffee Prince English book, and I was wondering how is it that, that a woman can masquerade as a man, and that's how got me to check out the first key drama ever. Yeah, that the, a couple of these are like really iconic, and I've never heard of Love in Her Bag. So kudos, Sangeeta, for no, like don't even watch. Something fresh. Don't. She never don't recommends it. <laughs> she doesn't recommend it. <laughs> I will tell you, my first K drama was this K drama called Lie to Me, mm-hmm. and it's not that great. But yeah. I, I don't know why it kept me in the game like for ten years because. <laughs> After that, I watched Boys Over Flowers, which is like a gateway drug. But the first one that I watched, I was like, I don't know, but I guess it was kind of good. And like the rest of history. Because I had a similar journey. So (laughs) you understand, Sangeeta. You get it. Like your first K drama was not like a global phenomenon. Like, you know. Totally. (laughs) Don't know how we're here right now, actually. (laughs) What is your favorite K drama or K dramas? 
Wow, there are so many and I think I listed quite a bit, didn't I, Jess, when you sent us that document? <laughs> yes. So, the one kudos I give to K-dramas is they got me hooked to rom-com genre. I don't like rom-coms. I wasn't watching before, so they hooked me onto it. So, Suspicious Partner, Ploy, Homecha, Our Beloved Summer, I really love those. I also liked a lot of Slice of Life. So Prison Playbook, Reply 1988, those were great. Be melodramatic for the kind of women friendships where they're very quirky, funny. A uh, lot of good thrillers as well. Uh, but uh, I liked Hot Stuff League also. It, it's, very, it's a very good K-drama, but it's not spoken as much as it should be. And I loved it. It's an out-and-out mm. sports strategy okay. drama. Very, very good if you if people want to yeah, I have go away from those genres. Yeah. I have to say, yeah. Yeah. Sangeeta? I watch all sorts of uh, K-dramas. I I generally enjoy comedies more than anything else. Romance or not, I prefer comedies. Uh, but I started uh, watching with, like I said, a very bad drama, like oh, loving her bag. <laughs> but after that, I've watched a lot of iconic K-dramas and love a lot of them. My all-time favorite, if I have to pick like one drama, I always say this, My Girl. Uh, but mm. I like a lot of other ones like Oh My Ghost, Strong Woman Bong Soon. There, there are quite a lot of good dramas which I keep recommending to people like Suspicious Partner and Legend of the Blue Sea. You cannot go wrong with that kind of yes. dramas. They're thorough entertainers. Also like Touch Your Heart uh, was a more recent drama but I really loved the whole warm element of that. Last year's mm. Happiness uh, which was a surprise for me oh, because I am not even a zombie uh, fan you know <laughs> i haven't watched walking dead i don't enjoy zombie movies so <laughs> it was quite a surprise I mean, that i actually <laughs> liked happiness <laughs> i have to add yeah, this I on to sangeeta because uh, same i don't like zombies i can't i i, I am a scaredy cat I, I keep saying this but kingdom is probably one of my favorite k dramas ever ever it was such a fantastic watch so there you are like k dramas i think really make you want good. yeah they make you watch genres you most bizarre touch. stuff which you've never even thought about right yeah <laughs> even some of the magjang dramas i don't know i don't think i would have watched any of those in english or even indian languages but somehow k dramas mm -hmm. made me watch something like a beat sky castle or world of the married i don't think i would have watched them in other languages I kept postponing Sky Castle for so long because I'm like, why do I care about a parents obsessed about the kids' education? Why should I be watching this? But it's a brilliant drama. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. That reason you listed is exactly why I haven't watched Sky Castle yet. And I think it's like the top rated K drama, like a, like top five at the very least. And I still will not watch it. So I feel you. But I, I. I have to watch it at some point. Like it's sure it's you should. Castle. Kim Bing Kim Byung Chul is a thorough entertainer. You should just watch it for him. He's brilliant in that. You should really watch it for him. <laughs> Ignore the rest of it. We want to. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> I'm also not a fan of period dramas, but uh, Mr. Sunshine is one drama I strongly oh, recommend yeah. to anyone because that sort of uh, exemplifies everything that is about K-dramas, you know, the way they tell mm. the stories and the character development. I think Mr. Sunshine mm. is like an example of that. <laughs> Poonam, can you give us your favorite K-dramas? 
It's actually a very difficult question. As difficult as being <laughs> asked, you know, what's your favorite book? I've been watching K dramas since 2014 or 16. I watched way too many already. So whatever list I tell right now may change next time I'm asked about this question because it completely depends on the memory that I have in that point of time. So suspicious partner is something I really like. Uh, Crash landing on you, of course. Two two different kinds of drama which are not like the, as pleasant as these two, but are nevertheless close to my heart are Navilera and Move to Heaven. Ooh, those are really good. <laughs> Thank you so much for you guys telling me what your favorite K-dramas were. And I think we can get a really good sense already of what you guys like to watch and what your favorite genres are, because it seems like you guys have run the gamut of like rom-coms and comedy and like legal thrillers and just like slice of life. You guys really love basically every genre of K-drama. You guys are watching zombies. You guys aren't even zombie people. Like, it's great. Like, I keep saying this about K-dramas, you know, they're, they're the best uh, storytellers. So any kind yes. of format that you see, books or uh, comics or uh, video content, I think K-dramas by far are the best kind of storytellers that I've seen so far. So probably that is what hooks us. Any kind of genre probably is just <laughs> a way of the saying it. I think that's what matters. <laughs> Only thing I probably avoid is violence. I don't want the violence and uh, too much sadness, uh, negativity of Korean movies into K-dramas. I like my K-dramas to be uh, pleasant, heart-tugging. Melodrama is also fine, just not too much violence. Yeah, okay. It's the reason why I've not yet watched DP and I want to watch it, but I will push it a little more ahead. DP, I will say that it's groundbreaking and a wonderful k-drama but it doesn't feel like a k-drama and it is very intense and emotionally taxing so just beware and like trigger warning like all the trigger warnings because it covers like a lot of tough subjects so uh highly recommend it but you know be be aware okay so housekeeping if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you like us, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes such a long way for us. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Always Critic. Not at Always Critic. I always do that. That's our movie podcast. At ATC Debak Pod. And if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. Okay, we are going to get started on our review of Pachinko. And I'll go ahead and read the Google slash Wikipedia synopsis that I edited because I didn't like the Asian wiki and it was like, I just wanted like a short and sweet thing. So here we go. Based on the New York Times bestselling novel of the same name by author and journalist Min, Minji, Min Jin Lee, <laughs> Pachinko is an American TV drama, a sweeping saga that chronicles the hopes and dreams of a Korean immigrant family across four generations as they leave their homeland in an indomitable quest to survive and thrive. And it aired originally from March to April 2022. It's only eight episodes long and it's directed by Kakonada who has directed video shorts and documentaries. And then he did a movie called Columbus in 2017 with John Cho, which is really good. I highly recommend it if you like My Mister, because it definitely has that vibe with like 
these two people navigating life in this one small part of like the country and is very moving. So definitely give it a shot, especially if you like my mister. That's the vibe. John Justin Chan also directed, co-directed, and he started as an actor in I remember him from the Twilight movies. <laughs> and he's also acted in the K-drama drama world, which is like a spoof on like K-dramas, which is really cool. He's directed Gook from 2017 and Blue Bayou from 2021, which was my top movie from the year 2021. It absolutely wrecked me. It broke my heart. And I highly recommend everyone watching Blue Bayou. So interesting, interestingly enough, I feel like it's pretty rare for K-dramas to have multiple directors. There are some that do co-directing, but in this case for Kagonada and Justin Chan to split up the season... Kagonada did episodes one, two, three, and seven, and Justin Chan did four, five, six, and eight. I think that's really unique, and it kind of gives the drama a little bit different flavor from each director, and I feel like you can sense that from each of the episodes that they did. Um, this Pachinko was also greatly influenced by the showrunner slash series creator Suhyu, and she is a writer for The Killing, and mm. she wrote Pachinko along with seven other people per the IMDb for Pachinko, which is really cool. Now, um, I don't consider this a K-drama. Like, I think we should talk about this really quick right now that mm. I don't really consider Pachinko a K-drama. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I felt like I was watching more of a Western production. Mm. Yeah, I can find more Solace thinking. Go ahead, Sunny. Yeah, I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so it, I did find it very Western in terms of uh, everything from cinematography, from, from the pacing to uh, the narrative style. Even... In to some extent, the way they've represented both Korea and Japan, I think it's a very Western way of uh, taking that kind of content. And mm. this thought that it is not a K-drama is the only way I can have a solace and only way I can make sense of what I watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this is not a K-drama. I think this is an American production, yes, like exactly. through and through. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. In the feel of it. And in the topics that are discussed as well, it feels very like mixed, like Korean American, Japanese American. It right. feels that yeah. way. Yes, yes. So just keep that in the back of your minds. I know that we're a K drama podcast, and I initially, in my mind, I thought it was a K drama, but it's not. It's definitely not a made in Korea K drama. Yeah, you know what I'm saying right. Definitely. That's true. Yeah. So. Pachinko stars Kim Ina as Kim Sunja, and she's been in school 2017, and she's only done, this is her only third drama series ever, and she's only done two movies. This is basically her breakout role, first starring role, and she auditioned even with no agent, which is like insane. The, you know, the showrunners really wanted to just get the best actors for the part, and they didn't consider, oh, like, do they even look alike? They did not even care about that. They were like, we want the best actors for the job. And they they auditioned everybody. Like, she had no agent. That's, like, crazy. So I'm so glad that they did, personally, that they branched out. And I think that we talk about this, this a lot on the Always the Critic podcast is that we want more diversity, and the only way that we can do that is to audition and expand the 
the pool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, look at people who we haven't looked at before. Sure. And this has made her a star, personally. I think that she's a star now. Yeah. She's gracing the covers of magazines yep. and she's getting interviews and she's, you know, she's really, I think she's on the up and up. So she co-stars with Imeno, Imeno <laughs> as Kohansu. And this is basically his first project back since The King Eternal Monarch in 2020. He hadn't had to audition for a role in over 10 years since Boys Over Flowers back in 09, which is nuts. I had no idea that that was like the way it works. Like once you make it, they just offer you stuff. Like yes. I know that that's the way it is in the West because I don't think a lot of like well-known actors like Robert De Niro, for instance, I'm not sure if Robert De Niro is showing up to audition like for parts anymore, but the, I think there's a difference between like Lehman Ho and Robert De Niro. So um, that was kind of mind blowing to me that he didn't really have to audition until now. And he took the part very seriously and he was more than happy to audition and was really excited to get the part. So that was nice. We'll wrap up our cast with Yunya Jung as Kim Sunja, and she plays the older version of Sunja. She's a prolific actor, won Best Supporting Actor for her role in Minari at the Oscars a couple of years ago. And I really appreciate that they cast such a veteran actor in this role. I think that she's one of the best parts of the show. And we'll talk about that more for sure. Lastly, Jin Ha plays Beck Solomon, and he hasn't really done much, just a couple of TV series, and this is his first main role, which is really, really kind of interesting. So all of this to say, to ask, what did you think of Pachinko? <clears throat> I think uh, let's let's make it very clear. We all three have read the book, so we were coming in with certain set of expectations or certain events in the book that we liked or we thought were crucial to the whole development of the character and the plot didn't play out as we thought it would in the series. So that's why it fell short of our expectations, if I have to put it very politely. On the acting front, uh, I I loved uh, the I loved Sunja, Elder Sunja, which is Yoon Yujung. I couldn't take my eyes mm. off. I couldn't fast forward. I couldn't skip. Her face is so expressive. It's just, I felt that she doesn't even need dialogues and she will convey the emotions right away to you. I loved her. I was very impressed with Jenna. I had no idea who he is. I was seeing him for the first time in a drama and I think he rocked the part of Solomon. And again, Solomon as a character in the book is very different from what is shown in the drama. But I still felt that Jenna rocked that part. Uh, so I was really, and I, the scenes which I really liked were between the grandmom and the grandson. Those were some of the mm. nicer scenes that I thought which played out. So uh, I'm not as gung-ho as all the reviews are glorifying Pachinko. Uh, but if you've read the book, I think there's going to be an amount of curiosity. And I think you should see and watch that drama. That's my view. Mm. Sankita? I wasn't so, like I said, it's a very different uh, drama. It's not the typical K-drama that you would go with. And uh, they said, they did say that it's going to be multiple seasons. So we knew that it's not going to come to a closure, right? So that, that was something I was clear in my mind. So when we had started, the only thing that sort of uh, confused me in the first episode was the parallel timeline. I think they've made very mm. good use of that. Uh, while the book was uh, 
chronological. Yeah. So it starts with Sanja's. By the way, I get very confused with this uh, name because when I was reading the book, I read it as Sunja in my mind. It was always Sunja, Sunja. And when they keep saying in the drama, Sanja, Sanja, I'm trying to make peace with the fact that I probably read it wrong. <laughs> so this uh, the book actually starts with Sanja's father's childhood, in fact. So it is a chronological order. So that is why uh, initially I was a little confused with that. And uh, but after it had started and I could see why they were doing that, because they had to introduce a lot of characters in the first season itself for them to actually keep the interest in the drama as it progresses and also make use of all these brilliant actors they've cast, because uh, you cannot introduce someone like Yoon Jung in the last phase of the drama, because, uh, you know, that is when the mm-hmm. Sanja's uh, later years come. You would want to make use of her right from the beginning. So I understood mm-hmm. why they've done that. Or even, even for that matter, you cannot uh, cast him and say that, okay, after that, he's grown old and probably bring another actor. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to work for them. So yeah, <laughs> I understood that. Uh, overall, I think I, I would say I have mixed feelings about that because uh, the book was very, uh, I mean... Uh, Again, that is because I've read the book. I don't know if if my perspective would have been a lot different if I hadn't read the book. But because I've read the book and I kind of had some expectations in terms of some character developments or the way the story had flown, uh, I had a little bit of mixed feelings. Some characters I was really impressed with, like Gina Solomon. I Solomon's character is not... Uh, like that, like what you see on screen. So Gina's character was very lively and uh, very driven. So that I think uh, wasn't there in the book. So I was very happy to see that. But at the same time, there are some other characters or other things that happen in the book that uh, in the drama that sort of leave you a little disappointed where you feel that, okay, maybe I should have seen a little more of that. Maybe I should have Mm. got to see what exactly happened there. Because visual medium gives you a lot of scope to show what is not there in the book or you know sure. translate something that is there in the book in a better way on screen again mm-hmm. it works for and against you also because once you've made up your mind about a few characters it's very difficult change <laughs> yeah <laughs> that doesn't translate on screen right so that that was uh, my view on the drama but I actually Tuna. like the parallel uh, timeline. Sorry, uh, but I, I actually like yeah, them. Exactly. I like how they show yeah, and connect exactly. the characters. Yeah. Puna? Yeah. Mm. yeah, so uh, I am used to, I'm a much big reader, so I'm used to seeing book productions convert, adapt, being adapted into screen productions. I'm used to seeing that. So with that, you have a lot of tolerance for small creative licenses. Some story will be changed here and there. You are accepting of the fact that characters might look different than your imagination because it's human that when you're reading the book you have made up a picture in your mind which may not match on the screen and sometimes if those acting and those casting those are well enough they kind of you kind of accept them you go along with them in fact they even take over your imagination and that's okay so i was prepared for those kind of things but what i wasn't prepared for that the TV adaptation would be against the spirit of the book. Uh, at essence, mm. the book spirit is about story of Sanja as an individual, as a woman, uh, her growth and her family's growth over a 
three or four generations. But when you see the first season, it comes across more about uh, Solomon and Kohansu, which is not the intent of the book. They are not even equal characters as Sanja. Kohansu plays a part in book one of Sanja's character and then later in a book three later, which, which the speedy adaptation hasn't even reached. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Solomon is the grandson and his part comes later and that's okay. But his character is not this vital principal character as they made it out to be. Why I don't like this? Because it's very hard to find well-fleshed women characters, female characters. It is very hard to find about little struggles that women go through in their inner lives. In Forget the occupation alone. You know, there is a reason why Sanja's mother, Yangjin, did not teach her. Uh, Sanja is illiterate. Why? Because she thought there's no use in her life as a woman as it is. And, you know, book builds up this very well. But these things, a woman's struggle, her inner life doesn't even come along. I like the fact that the drama ends on Sanja trying to, you know, find her own voice. And she's trying to sell those words, sell that kimchi outside. That I like. It was brought back some focus on the women, but it was not there. Again, it's not just Sanja's story. And Sangeeta and Nina, you can correct me from. It is also a story of Yangji, Sanja's mother and Sanja in the first part. It is also a story of Kyunghi and Sanja in the third book. Kyunghi comes across as this helpless woman who has been sheltered all her life. And then later she's just shown sick. So this is not... And when I talk about the core, this is what I mean. And this core doesn't come across well in the drama. It is definitely well made. I can see an expensive production. I have no issues with four timelines being together. Uh, I understand that you may have to take creative liberties. One thing mm. that I could not, I mean, a lot of cast is different from the book and I could accept that. What I could not accept was elevation of Ko Hansu. And I think that happened because they cast a big star like you know. And uh, his backstory is completely fabricated. Book mentions just one yeah. paragraph that he's son of a drunken orange farmer. And that's about it. There is no backstory to There is no backstory to Hansu's story character. And Hansu, if you would see, oh. is quite elderly. He's in his mid-30s. Okay? He's he's not as suave as, suave as they have shown uh, him to be on screen. As he's he not, he's got a very looks, strong personality. But... Overall, the drama is tending towards this immigrants uh, and racism kind of perspective. So I think a lot of these things will be toned down. The actual struggle yeah. of this woman who had gone through a lot of uh, these, you know, problems in life, these struggles in life. And she is, from the book, uh, if I have to sort of... Uh, say it in one word it is endurance it's about that woman's endurance if you notice Pachinko yeah. starts with that word it actually says that these people have endured but if you ask me uh, having seen season one have i got that impression no i don't see mm. that it's a story of endurance it's more about uh these problems of immigrants the kind of the perceptions of immigrants like the zanichi koreans that is what they're called they're called zanichis in uh, japan so uh, how these guys are perceived and their struggles and because especially through solomon they've tried to portray that a lot probably that speaks to the western audience and maybe that's why they've done that but uh th that's the kind of line they're trying to take which is not the case i mean the actual story is not that that is fine if they, that is how they want to show this story that is okay but i'm saying that's the perception that i got that it's a so story of immigrants and not really about endurance 
So I'm going to give my thoughts. My thoughts are vastly different from all of your thoughts <laughs> on the show. I will say that I was very impressed in episode one when we come in and we see all of these converging timelines and the editing style. And of course, the cinematography is very grand and beautiful. And I was very um, enchanted by Sanja's story. I loved all of her childhood and all of those sequences. I thought they were beautiful. And I just found that the show had a lot to say. It was a very rich text and that it was about like the will to live and the struggle to survive and the love of a parent and a lot of racism. And what does home mean to you? Generational trauma and the power of food and memory, which was a big part of the show as well. Language being tied to identity and the pachinko game. And I was trying to like figure out this puzzle piece because without reading the book, I don't know how much pachinko the game plays into the story or plays into the poetry of like this story. So I was trying to find meaning in a lot of things and I did a little research and I maybe we can get into this in spoilers, uh, in the spoiler section, but I do feel like towards the end of the show, like maybe halfway through the show, I was like, this is starting to feel like we're losing the like crux of it. Like the, I feel like the story of Sanja is so compelling and that's like the best part of the show. And I loved seeing her journey and I love seeing her grow up and I wanted to see more of that. And every time they like cut away to like 1989, I was like, I was like left wanting more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So the 1989 parts were like fine. I, at first I was like, this is really good. And then I was like, I don't know if I care that much about like what's <laughs> happening in 1989 and what Solomon is trying to do, because I don't think Solomon was, Solomon was very charismatic, but also I found him very complicated and I'm not sure if he was a likable character. So for me, I was like, okay, I don't really want to see Solomon that much. <laughs> like he, I understand that he's struggling and I understand that his journey is tied implicitly with what his grandmother went through. And it has to do a lot with, you know, what are the different struggles of each generation? And the generation that came before is always going to say some version of, you know, I went to school, I walked to school every day uphill both ways, which doesn't make sense. Like you can't, you can't walk to school uphill one way and then still uphill again, like going home. So that's like the concept of the show. This concept of I struggled more than you did. So like, stop complaining. And I don't know if I liked that angle so much. It was very relevant and it definitely happens. And it happens to me too. I come from a Hispanic household and that happens too. Yeah. It happens to all of us. Where it's like, Why are you? Yeah. Like what is, what is this first world problem that you're like talking about? Because I had to struggle. I had to like, you know, immigrate. I did all this stuff for you to have a better life. But then when we're living this better life, our problems seem so small to the previous generation. And like, they look down on us for that. So that's part of like this whole juxtaposing Sunja's story in the past and 1989, where he's got like, you know, all of these political, like career aspirations going on. And like, I don't really care about that because I do feel like Sunja's story is foundational and it is more, not more important, but more interesting to watch. You got this. Not just that. I think what okay. you said about generational trauma, I think that's exactly why they've written the drama like that. What you said about uh, you know what you experience, like 
aren't my struggles as big as yours i think just to exactly to sort of uh, point to that feeling of a lot of immigrants in the us i think that is what they've tried to do with the trauma but the fact mm-hmm. that you wanted to see more of sanja's story her 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 parts of it that is the spirit of the book solomon and hana that section even though they are not as per the book anyway i was not vested in at all i was like i don't want to see it. and i also didn't find solomon likable Mm. and their yeah. love their story is not like that at all and solomon's character is not like that at all in the book so it's very different uh, hana just stays a part of his past that keeps coming back uh, he is trying to move on and he has moved on technically but it's the past that keeps pulling him back anyway that is the least interesting part of the book to be very oh, honest i mean, i was kind of rushed Yeah, of the entire book, I kind of rushed her reading through that part because Hana as a character is not likable either. So, <laughs> yes, Hana is um, a nineteen eighty nine character. Yeah, there's too much weightage given to her. I did. The I way no they showed why. in uh, this drama, it is not likable. But in the book, I did like her character because there's a lot of angst to her character. She goes through a lot, and she is the way she is mm. because of a lot of uh, struggle that she had to go through because. Uh, her parents were never around and she go, she has a lot of other struggles that she faces her character is nothing like what they show in the drama so mm-hmm. uh, i didn't have a problem with the hana character but yeah the way they've showed the whole solomon and hana in the drama it's nowhere near what we had expected or anticipated right. in book you feel empathy for hana because uh, she's child of a divorced parents or a mom who is not recognized as yeah. uh, in a married couple and so you feel that angst but even in the book i was not interested in that track and the screen hana is Same. very unlikable she is she's suffering but she's still giving some knowledge about and mostly telling you you know what no matter how hard you try they don't consider you your own you are going to feel i mean i felt like no we we don't say that all the time you know i mean focus on good things if you have little time left on the earth that i i i did not like that part Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I think you guys are coming on like really negative about the show. So we'll <laughs> switch gears and we'll say something positive exactly. about the show before we get into spoilers, which might be a way more negative. So what was the be- what were the best parts of the show for you guys? I'll uh, go first. For me, uh, I said the you go yeah, first. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Punam. Yeah, I think uh, for me uh, that fourth episode uh, where they talk about. Uh, See, Sanjaya was a very loved child, and you see a glimpse of it with her father in the first episode. But in the book, they are even her mom, Yamji, and it's the biggest thing in that kind of period where your daughter is an unwed mother. It's a big deal, and it means ruin of the entire family, not just that person. But you know that mother's love that comes across in that scene where she wants to serve white rice to her. you know son in law and her daughter and then uh, later when she reaches uh, osaka and yungi serves white rice actually yungi is a very warm heartwarming character in the book and she is like sanja's biggest ally so those that scene and i think that whole episode should be called white rice by the way for the symbolism the white rice was symbolism of her mother's love that white rice was a symbolism of Yungi welcoming a new member to her family. It it was a symbol of positivity. So I loved, really loved that. I already talked about how I love that 
when Sanja goes into the market to sell kimchi and she has, she's trying to find her voice to sell her wares, I think it's symbolic on a, on a larger part. It kind of shows uh, how she was finding herself, you know, in a, in a foreign land. So some of these things uh, I found, uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing to read uh, in a book, but, you know, it's another to actually see on a, on a big screen. So I like those, those things a lot. Mm. Sangeeta? I liked Sanja's uh, childhood parts a lot uh, because the bond she shares with her father and how she comes into her own, how her love for, with her, I mean, her family's love for her has shaped her, right? So even though uh, she comes from such a background where her mom doesn't want her to study or get educated, but at the same time, she's a very strong girl who's emotionally very collected and she knows what to do in the right kind of situation like say when she has to sell that watch she has some presence of mind to think about that and she has a presence of mind to not think about okay what will be the consequences of this for me right now getting that money is important more than anything else so let's do this mm-hmm. and she's very detached about it she's not trying to uh, you know sort of say that okay i'm doing this as a favor to you or anything like that she doesn't have that attitude or at the same time she's not doing like because you have taken me in let me pay you my debt she's not doing that she's like okay these are my family now this is what i own let me just sell this and take care of my family which is the ethos that she has built her parents have built in her so i think that those things have come out very well and especially uh, the scenes where with her father where she's going this fishing and they have this mm. cute way of sort of looking at each other and keeping track of each other i think that was done very well even uh, her standing up or rather helping that traitor who comes to the restaurant right that's a scene which was actually not there but they have shown that to sort of establish what sort of a strong girl sanja is and how her presence of mind is always has always been there so she looks at that and she thinks about that and she goes and warns him in her own way she doesn't uh, sort of try mm. to tell him that this is exactly what is happening but she just bursts out right why did you do this why did you uh, do all this now everybody is worried so she's just mm. saying that everybody is worried so she that's her way of saying that okay get out of here I also like that guy was also so empathetic and respectful to the child, Sanja, right? How he dealt with her, how he answered her. I like that as well. Yes. So I think those scenes Mm -hmm. were very endearing. I love to watch all that. Even the uh, scenes where uh, the... Whatever little friendship and scenes that Sanja shared with the other two girls, Boki and uh, the other girl. So those were also very sweetly done because that is not the era or the place where people would be like overtly friendly and say that, oh yeah, let's hug each other, let's go play or anything like that. They, it was, they were tough times. everybody was going through a tough time but everybody had a place in the society and they had to sort of follow that at the same time develop these bonds i think that was also done uh, communicated very well through the on-screen medium Mm, i agree with you sangeeta i love those scenes as well meena uh actually stole my scene so i'll just add on Uh, (laughs) for me uh yes it was because it also showed how you know when she goes her mother wants to feed her the white rice because she's going to go away and she doesn't know when she'll see her daughter again it was such a hard commodity for her to 
buy or get because a staple food became a luxury item and that symbolized for me is the colonial oppressive rule of the japanese how the koreans had to you know it wouldn't even have access to the staple diet or their food so i think that was quite symbolic for me one scene actually any time yoon yoo jung came on screen i loved it i just love her face uh, mm. there's so much of expressions like i said before i just loved watching all her scenes every time when again this is not part of the book but i kind of liked it is when she goes back to busan to spread uh, you know uh, after 50 years or something she goes back to korea and mm. when she's standing on the in the sea uh, and just soaking in coming back to her own motherland was lovely imagine 50 years you've not gone and seen your hometown uh, so and i think it was very beautiful the other scene that touched me and i identify with it is uh, when she and the landlady start discussing the texture of the rice and i go through this mm. because i have lived outside india for 15 years and yes lot of food items are available export is available everything but there are certain and i'll tell this in a rice grain like i wrote in the document there are rice grains which are in your region which you don't get abroad and when i go back home and i mm. eat that rice i feel it so the emotion was very very relatable to me so those two ladies talking mm. and discussing the texture i really loved uh, that scene a lot i i enjoyed solomon um again i keep going back it's not like it was in the book but after the deal when he's frustrated and he comes down on the road it's raining and he starts dancing in the band sometimes you have to let loose we are so caught up with so many things he just lets himself loose mm. and i enjoyed jinha's uh, expression and acting on that uh, that little scene it it may not be very relevant to the whole drama but i i understood what he was uh, going through so you had to just let go of it yeah yeah i'll jump in here i really like that scene too in 1989 when um he goes out in the rain jinha goes out in the rain and just like starts dancing to the street yep. band and it felt like it was just a release and such yes. a moment of freedom and he was basically saying like you know like fuck it like this is it doesn't matter Not like it. he threw his corporate jacket on the floor <laughs> and it, it was it was like the whole like message and i i really like that part i do want to go back to the rice and this I, i don't know if this is a spoiler so much but like i really felt like that episode was excellent like that was probably one of the best episodes Thanks. of the whole season Absolutely. one yes. was yeah. i agree the whole with the right rice and her mother trying to find it and right. begging for white rice and it it was it was beautiful and i think that um the way that it was shot you know like this this is a cinematic experience and i feel like the way that it was shot was almost reverent. Yeah. And I call, I called that episode like the holy rice because <laughs> you know white rice used to um be like they used to be able to eat white rice but then now yeah. was now during Japanese colonial right. rule like they And it's not like you're asking reserved. it for free, right? See, you're paying, paying for it yeah. but you cannot get it. You are not yeah. allowed to buy it. Imagine uh, you have the means mm-hmm. but you are still not allowed. But that yes. that shows oppression. That, that shows oppression at the smallest of It does. Yes, that the ri- white rice is reserved for the Japanese elite yeah. in Korea. So they can't even have something that is distinctly theirs, something yeah. that's grown on their land, something that exactly. you know belonged to them before and it's very you know beautiful and sad and all these things but you know the symbol of status and sacrifice 
and this last taste of home before she leaves Korea. And I love how they show her preparing the rice and washing it and scrubbing it and like her cooking it. They show the tenants at the boarding house, like just like looking on in like wonder and amazement because none of them have eaten white rice. They've only had like cheap barley rice during the Japanese occupation. So this look of longing and I, I almost like almost like brought to tears because it was such a a moment of love that it, it was so simple too. Like you just think like, oh, it's just a bowl of rice, but like no, it's so much more than that. It means so much. And I love when she sets it down on like their wedding table and she just starts crying. <laughs> like there's no <laughs> words exchanged. She just like starts crying. The mom doesn't say anything. She's not like, congratulations. Like, I love you. Like, no, she sets this was her love. You know, she sets yeah. down like this beautiful meal that she prepared with her whole heart with, you know, everything she had, she begged for this rice. And it was just such a beautiful, like gorgeous moment. I would like everyone to watch episode four so that they can see this moment because I like really identified with it. And then you were talking, Minal, about 1989 and how they were talking about like the texture of the rice and how, you know, oh my God, this brings me back. And like, I've had this moment in my life where <laughs> it wasn't so much like a cultural thing, but the power of food is real. And this moment for me was I have um, a couple of aunts that passed away, but they used to make every holiday season, they would make pumpkin bread and they would like sell it and give it away. And it was like a wonderful, like every time we go into their house during the holidays, it would smell like pumpkin bread. It was like a yeah. beautiful, like memory for me and after they passed away I hadn't had pumpkin bread like didn't think anything of it that I like never had pumpkin bread during the holidays anymore but my mom bought like a store bought like pumpkin bread and she was like oh I bought this pumpkin bread let me know if you like it whatever I'll get it again so I I took one bite of it (laughs) and I was like moved to like I literally teared up because the smell brought me the smell and the taste brought me right back to those times when I was like casually eating pumpkin bread and like smelling pumpkin bread and being with family and my aunts and like their recipes and it was like so overwhelming and my mom was like just standing there like do you like it and I was like (laughs) I couldn't like say anything it was like such a moment and so as soon as she took that rice that bite of rice and she was like oh like she couldn't even say anything like the lady was like I know right like she just knew instinctively that she was what she was thinking and talking about so very beautiful moment those two moments that have to do with rice and food like i don't know yeah. maybe that says something about me too they show how much she values food even later right when they when she yes. burns that pancake and jinnah says put it in the dustbin she says no, no. are you crazy? like no <laughs> <laughs> But Jessica, what you said about the smell reminds me of the scene in Pachinko where, which I actually wrote as one of the other, other scenes that I love is when Kyungi washes the clothes that she has got from yeah. Korea and she is like, oh, there must still be smell there. Why give you? And Kyungi is like immediately apologetic and then she, she she's like, it was not smelling good and uh, Sanjam knows in her heart the futility of you know not keeping those clothes unwashed and she just breaks down and in front of Kyungi and she's like when is this going to get better am I not supposed to feel mm. less it was all smell thing she was still relying on to the, her smell of her homeland 
Mm-hmm. You know, which Ravit scene it took me back to when Bok Chu and uh, uh, Jung Young meet in weightlifting ferry, and she has she washes his handkerchief, and that's his mum's handkerchief, and he loses it. Oh. He's like, "Why did you wash it? Why did you iron it? The smell is gone." So you know, it took me back <laughs> to that that scene. So that mm-hmm. it's I it's a memory and the way you associate. Yeah, K-dramas are teaching this lesson that if you think you have borrowed something from somebody, probably don't wash them without checking with them. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so before we get any deeper into spoilers, what would you give this show out of five soldier bottles? So we'll go Poonam. Two and a half, and that's me being very liberal. Okay, Sangeeta. <laughs> I would give it a three and a half because I I would have loved to give it a four, but for Kohansu's character. <laughs> okay, Meena. I think if uh, that character oh. came out the way I had imagined it, I think it would have been a four for me. <laughs> okay, you know what? We'll start with his character when we move into spoiler section. Yeah. Okay, Meena, three, three for me. Yeah. Okay, for me, I'll give it a four just because I feel like it is very much prestige television and it does have a lot to say. And I really enjoyed a lot of the performances and a lot of the sequences, although some just didn't work for me. And we can get into what those are and some of your qualms with the book to mo- book to movie, book to TV adaptation <laughs> right after this. <laughs> you want to come in okay so we're on the other side of spoilers and i know that you guys have a lot of thoughts on the differences between the book and the tv show and um i think we can start wherever you guys want to i know you guys have a lot of thoughts yeah i wanted to know from manila and sangeeta what were the things that screenplay the tv adaptation had which were not there in the book but they enjoyed it and they were like Yeah, that's a good thing. I hadn't thought of that. I'm happy to see this. So I'll go back to the same scene uh, where she goes back to Korea, which is not there in the book. And I loved her uh, one scene where Mozasu says, I am already, I've already eaten. I don't want uh, this. She's like, who's buying it for you? It's like, I'm full, but I'm still going to have my favorite. I don't remember. Was mm. it a fish cake or I don't know what it was. But she wanted to have that street food. Um, and she bought then two. she just, so, she bought two. She bought That's two all. And he says, and I don't need it. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want And she's like, who's buying it for you? I'm not going to buy it for you. I'm buying it for myself. And uh, her going, walking into the sea and just standing there, staring at the land, staring beyond the horizon, soaking in. Because at that same point, she never thought she would ever get to see her homeland again. And to be back where she grew up was fantastic to watch. And yes, I craved that in the book as well. But I'm glad that they brought it uh, here. And not exactly Mm -hmm. the scene, but I actually liked uh, the interviews of the real... Is it Zaichini? Am I... Is that... What's the name? Zanichi. Zanichi women. Uh, So I was... I quite liked uh, that they gave that two, three minute footage to their experience. I would like to hear more of their stories, of course. Uh, so yeah, those two mm-hmm. things I, I quite like. That's what I would pick. One of those stories actually was really interesting because she said, you know, I grew up so harshly. One of those Zainichi stories at the very end of the show. That I, I grew up so harshly that I'm unkind to people. I I'm can't be kind to people. Very yeah. unkind. I can't be kind to people. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's like mind blowing. 
Because again, like I was saying before spoilers that sometimes it feels like they're belittling our experience. <laughs> feels like they're belittling our experience um, because they went through so much. And that's the case here, like with her, because she's probably like very weary of everybody and distrustful of people. And it felt like almost like a reason for the previous generation just being harsh. Right. For me, uh, the scenes, the scenes follow up to what Meenal said, uh, actually, Yumjang, uh, Sanja going back to Korea, but uh, more than all the rest of the scenes, what I liked was her interaction with Kim Yam-gook, one of the helper girls yes. that she w- grew up with, because that scene really made me feel good because in the book, it is not a very good thing that happens to those girls. Mm-hmm. They hint yes. at probably those two girls being ending up as comfort women. Here also, she still talks about the other woman saying that don't know what happened to her after she went to that factory. That was an allusion to comfort women in the book. They don't spell it out clearly, but from the way they've written it and the time period, you can think, I mean, probably that is what uh, they are hinting at. But uh, because seeing her on screen actually made me feel, feel happy because, okay, whatever happened, whatever struggles she had gone through, they haven't shown any of that. But at least she's old, she's grown old, she's living a comfortable life and she's happy in Korea. I think that was a very reassuring. And the other scene which I spoke about in Sanja's childhood, where she tells this guy that you have to go. I mean, she tells him that everybody's worried because of the things that you said at the tavern uh, that was not really in the book that doesn't happen mm-hmm. that scene and the whole sequence was not there they did that to sh- uh, show sanja's character and also what happened to traitors in that age what happened to people who spoke their mind in that age so mm-hmm. that scene was also very uh, good that was touching and also historic so I have to say that I, um, I'm i half Cuban and I grew up in Miami. So I grew up around a lot of Cubans and a lot of my friends were Cuban. And Cuba is currently a communist country. And a lot of people who live in South Florida have a story like this where they're like, oh, yeah, my father, my grandfather, my uncle, no, whatever. Like they got taken mm-hmm. and we didn't see them for months. Yes, And we didn't know if they were going to like die in prison or they were going to kill him or whatever, or so-and-so got, you know, they have all these stories. And one of them was like, (laughs) one story was, we didn't see my father for all this time. He was taken and we managed to like get out of the country. But like, it wasn't until we were on the tarmac that we even saw him and knew he was alive. Like they just like brought him. And we got on the plane and we didn't know if they were going to stop the plane and like make us get off the plane. There was like all this uncertainty and fear. And so when these parts were happening in the past sequences with Sanja's husband and all of the agitators, as they were called, I was like very sensitive toward it. Because yeah. I was like, this is like, this is, I know it's real in the context of this historical like event, but like it's happening now. Like it happens now no, so i was very uh, attuned to that and i was um very much touched by those stories where you know Sanja's like trying to figure out what happened she she's like i don't even know my husband because apparently he was also a communist like but like you know working for workers rights and 
speaking out against the Japanese government. That's also and a, the actually a deviation of the book. Deviation, not, yes. It is not. No, it's, not <laughs> it is not the book. <laughs> He's not. But because of something, his, somebody in his congregation did it. Just by association. Did it. He was actually it's by association. Yeah, and basically because he was of the just doing his job else, because he was this preacher. So that is correct. That, that is a, actually kind of what I figured, but they do make it seem like he is like a ringleader of some yeah. sort. He's not. He's but not. he, I mean, just from his personality and his demeanor, I was like, this doesn't track. But I guess exactly, like, you know, they <laughs> they really wanted that like element where he was definitely at fault, like not at fault. You know what I'm saying? But like guilty of what yeah. they're charging him. Yeah. ஸ்பெண்ட் இட் alone together in Osaka at Yosef's house and how Sanja realizes uh, you know that her relationship her physical relationship with Hansu was more about him but her relationship with Isa is more about them more about her and she realizes oh this can be pleasurable you know and uh, Isa never takes anything for granted never uh, he first speaks to uh, her mom would it be okay to do that uh, he takes a permission to talk to sanja when he speaks to the pastor who is going to marry them who is skeptic by the way and all those things that they show in the church scene that happens but he tells the pastor i'm not sure that sanja will say yes she hasn't said yes he like he wants sanja to like him as a man and he doesn't want sanja to think he is doing a favor on her so i would would have loved it if tv had more of this arc it would have been wonderful to see that i called him reverend hari <laughs> because he's so, that actor is so beautiful yeah. like yeah, i was like is. taking he aback yeah. <laughs> he's like gorgeous and he yeah is. like he portrayed this character to perfection in terms of him being such a gentle kind caring person and i fully believe that he not he didn't just pity her and wanted to marry her it's like to get her out of the shame of her situation i think he really no, cared for fact, her in the two no, no, seconds that he like met her in no so it's in not even book, that it's not the two seconds of time it's a lost yeah, story a, there's a lot of time where she nurses him to health so because he nurses really him back he's Yeah. So think about it he's he's suffering from tuberculosis and also as a child they give a back story where he's been very of poor health a lot of times the parents didn't even think he would reach adulthood so he comes there ill and both the mother and sanja take great care of him and it's more what they're trying to show is he as a man is obliging and taking no he is more under they are because of what they have done and shown the care for him it's out of respect that he takes that step uh, and he understands how kind they are as people how kind she is so he understands her as a woman and as a person it's a communicable so it's, he's not doing any very apologetic in the book that i'm giving you so much trouble and his his heart is full yes. that how much lens these two women who who are almost destitute in a manner of speaking to care of him you know 
know so it's not something he takes lightly moreover he likes sanjay generally also because he thinks of her and whenever he speaks to her, his brother about it even in the book and even in the drama in fact when yosef is not saying kind things about sanjay he gets very angry and he said that don't talk about this to don't talk like this about sanjay he is he genuinely likes sanjay as a person hmm Mm, I like that. I really like and that. And in that era, um, you know, men used to think that women are property, but it's not like that. Isaac treats her as equal, respects her, uh, loves his kids. He doesn't differentiate uh, between Noah and Mozasu, which is really lovely about him. I I really like the character mm-hmm. a lot. And they juxtapose him a lot with his brother in the show. where you feel like the bro- the older brother is like an asshole because he is he has dis- it's exhibiting such fragile masculinity where like the ladies are trying to take care of business the ladies are trying to get them out of debt the ladies are trying to like actually be proactive about making income and making ends meet and not letting the kids starve and all this stuff when like the shit hits the fan at the end of the show and he's like mad at them for doing this and he's like what does that make me and it's like what does that make you <laughs> like step up because there was, it was the like, same very as in annoying. the book <laughs> i think often it's, yeah. it's, it's the same and it doesn't um, change we often excuse yeah. men saying that he was the man of his times but the author has ensured in the same book that there is another character like isaac right in there you can see a contrast yes. right there the brothers Right, because Isaac never gets upset that they are like he admires Sanja for her strength and he right, wants yeah. to be like her and he has this wonderful line where he says like, you know, you have all of this courage and you don't even see it and yes. you know, I like your reservoir of courage such that I can <laughs> siphon off some for myself and still still leave you with a bounty, which yeah. is such a beautiful poetic True. line, but he Gen- like he genuinely loves like her on a soul he loves her on a soul level and he appreciates everything that she brings to the table and he he wants to benefit from her strength which is totally different from how his brother handles his household and how he interacts with his wife and this is where i was more disappointed that kyunghi doesn't get the weightage in the season 1 that she should have got because she is not a weakling Kyungi is a very mm. very strong woman in her own sense also and, and she's uh, the one who worst, gives that support to Sanja. Yeah and mm. first of all Kyungi doesn't die in the book. I don't know why they had yeah. to kill her. Yeah. Just to make uh, yeah, exactly. Sanja go to Korea that's the only reason why they've done that but Kyungi doesn't <laughs> die in the book. Uh, why what have you yeah. got against her? Sanja why does that bad now? Boki lives so now Kyungi dies in the book. Yeah, so Kyungi uh, dies. Yeah. I, I yeah that's shocking <laughs> I, and but um, hopefully we're not spoiling too much of the book for the viewers but Kyungi's and Sanja's relationship was one of my favorite parts of the book too. two women and he's a way Kyungi has this and Kyungi has this quiet strength about her unlike Sanja yes. who's very bold and all the time she is out there she is willing to take these bold steps Kyungi doesn't she's still like Poonam said there are men of the times and there are women of the times so women who are abiding by the rules of the land rules of the time and she's one of those she's just quietly going about her life 
listening to whatever her husband has to tell her like if you see she still says that she still looks for validation from her husband so that is how her character is throughout but she has that quiet strength about herself and the book keeps de describing her as this very pretty and uh, very uh, womanly looking lady like woman yeah. so she ha she knows that about herself she uses that to her advantage and she knows that you know who what kind of people she can interact with and she can charm her way and that sort of a thing so you you can see that she's also not somebody who doesn't know how to deal with people you know she knows her strengths and she uses that to her advantage which is mm. not yet completely exhibited in season 1 is what i would say and, and by the way the... she's very elegant but she's yes. not very you know forthcoming as far as like street yeah. smarts I'm hoping right. she's but she is in season 2 where kyunki will Hopefully. get some more exposure because she is the one who makes like home for sanja after isha it's it's her who sanja would rely on our major part of her life and, and the kimchi is made by kyunki it's her recipe yeah. she is the formidable cook in the house not sanja Kimchi is, uh, is Kyungi is the one who makes the food, and Sanja is the one is the salesperson, and she is the. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I feel like that's a major blunder. Honestly, like I feel like this is a major blunder of the show, because they make it seem like Sanja is like taking the reins on like making the kimchi, and that she is the one leading the charge on the recipe or like the making of the kimchi, and Kyungi is just helping her out. Like yeah, she's not. She the one bringing the recipe that's and like cooking the kimchi yeah no, Sanja that's not the sense that she is the ideas person and he forces her her idea is her he is a visionary but it's kyungi who is skilled she makes she is famous uh, in osaka and she even in the book isak praises her a lot for cooking uh, they remember they love her cooking, food so it's her recipe yeah wow <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to jump all the way back to episode 1 because I really liked the the concept of the shaman like they show basically Sanja's mom going to the oh. shaman so that she can bless this baby because she had had like three miscarriages three and miscarriages, she really wanted yeah. the child. Yeah. So, but then the it seemed like like shamanism was like outlawed and like uh occupied Korea, but it was like I looked it up and it wasn't they were trying to like out not outlaw but like phase out shamanism to shintoism but they weren't necessarily outlaws so i was like why all this secrecy like why is her like shaman robes like in a box like she can't like it was like hush hush and it's because shamans wear white like as part of their um robes and stuff like they have colorful robes and stuff but they also wear white and wearing white was outlawed in occupied korea yes so and i i have like this whole thing so i'll like to i wrote i not wrote <laughs> i didn't write this i read this article on wearing white in korea and how it's so symbolic so shamans wore white and is considered considered a clean color that keeps bad spirits away but it also expresses earnestness and willingness to overcome sadness and in korea there's a deep tradition of wearing white clothing not just for mourning but also because they preferred and its reverence for white the symbolic meaning of cleanliness and innocence and in confucian philosophy those colors are considered like those things are considered to be lowly however white was distorted the color white was distorted during the japanese imperialism and during japanese occupation 
the Japanese assigned a political interpretation to Koreans wearing white. And so they outlawed it because they thought that they were like in perpetual mourning for their country being occupied and taken over. So they were like, nobody can wear white (laughs) because they thought it was like a statement. And instead of like them not wearing white anymore in Korea, the Koreans, almost all all of them were like, yes, we're just going to wear white now like in resistance against Japanese imperialism. So I love that the color white like changes like perspective, like the symbolism of white changes throughout Korean history. And today, like it's not really a thing, but I love that it is like the Japanese want didn't, let me put this this way. Like the Japanese thought it was a sign of resistance, but then because they thought it, the Koreans actually turned it into a sign of resistance. So I found it, kind of cool that throughout the show she does kind of wear white yeah like sunja is wearing yes. lighter colors and white and she's not wearing like very colorful things so i found it like almost like an underlying symbolic thing that unless you look it up you don't realize that they're like resisting the japanese colonialism or imperialism true that's just kind of cool i mean i i did not know about that this whole shaman robes and the white uh, thing i did not know about that Something else that I noticed, and this was in the 1989 sequence where Solomon stays like in his childhood room or something like that. And he finds two small wooden ducks. And like, he's like, what is this? And like, throws it on the floor. Immediately when I saw the ducks, I was like, oh, that represents a marriage. It's a gift from Bookie, right? right? In the drama. It ends up being like this super beautiful symbolic gift of like handmade wooden ducks from like Bookie. And I'm like, how can he just like throw it on the floor? And I thought, did they not do a good job of telling him like what this is? Because I feel like that holds a lot of meaning. Like regardless of, I don't know who gave it to her. I don't know like whose wedding this represents. I don't know nothing like, but you just don't throw it on the floor. Exactly. I was thinking when they said in the drama, ducks made for life, which I'm not sure how scientifically true the fact that is. I don't think that's. (laughs) (laughs) Should I bring ducks in the house now? I have all kinds of things little Sanja. So there's Sanja with um, so she's like in her teenage years and then into like adulthood and then there's older Sanja in 1989 but then there was like a like child Sanja loved her acting. Absolutely. I thought she was like one of the best child actors that I've seen in K-Drama true, true. and there's really good child actors. Yeah. And but like when she's a fisherman was like getting beaten and stuff and she was like very like emotional and sad and she was like sucking in like breaths and stuff i was like oh my god she's like perfect she's doing really well <laughs> i am yet to come across a bad child actor in korean dramas mm. yet even noah noah's face in the end in the last that scene okay is so heart crushing the i like i was mm. like no, somebody give him a hug. Give that little kid a hug. So I, I think in all mm. K-dramas, I have no complaints about the child actors. I, I just know that they will do a phenomenal job, which they did even here. That Noah scene is the one you I stole, agree. stole from me now. I love that scene. My <laughs> Sorry. The child actor I love Noah. When he is witnessing he his father good. being arrested. And also because of the background oh. that we know, it's one supremely endearing scene in the, that series. Mm-hmm. I agree. The so other, I'm going to jump to 1989. 
But, um, oh, did you want to say something? Go right ahead. No, I'm just going to say that I hope the other seasons explore Noah and Isaac, Isaac's relationship they because that's to. another beautiful part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's they beautiful. Otherwise, yeah, it has to. I mean, yes. it leads up to the climax. Otherwise, the climax will not make sense. So they have to. Oh, God. So we didn't even get to the climax of the book. In no, 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 no. Persona. We're not talking oh. about it. Okay, it's a big yeah, spoiler. We won't talk about it. Yeah. Something to look forward to. It's a good thing not to have everything. <laughs> no, no. It's, You're right. It's, yeah. So in 1989, I, I do want to like touch on some of the things that happened in 1989 because there seems to be over and not over racism toward Koreans in Japan in 1989, especially like, you know, um, Solomon going through his life and in the business world and stuff like in America, like they're not telling him why like he got passed up for the job promotion. And I'm like, OK, if he did well, if they like, you know, it's unspoken that it was a racial thing. Okay, before that, and he's not uh, sent in the book. He doesn't come back to Korea for that particular deal. He comes to Korea, that deal just happens. So, yeah, <laughs> that's another. He grabs his chance at that point. Okay, so I mean, that whole uh, sequence where so he says that for in... the promotion, I need to get in, right? That, that doesn't happen. It's not about the promotion. It's not about that particular deal. Wow. He just happens to come to Korea. And after that, this deal happens to like, he doesn't have a white boss also in the book. He has a Japanese boss, Kazuma. Yeah. So he. What? Him, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So he puts him on that. I felt that discrimination acutely in Jinha as in Solomon's interaction with his friends at a party, you know, where he reminds mm-hmm. him that you said something unkind to me. You told me your father said this about the Koreans or yeah. uh, even when the friend who is, who is trying to portray that today they are equals, even when he says, I'm forgetting the actual words, even when he speaks normally, it feels like that he is discriminating, you know, saying, for example, mm-hmm. okay, you don't look like a Korean is also a manner of discrimination. He says something to the effect. So I felt those acutely in Solomon's conversations. A lot of those scenes, even the supermarket scene where the owner says that all you Koreans do is come and steal and all this, you know, the supermarket, that was outright racism because he did not even try to find out if Hannah drove him to that or he did it himself because he knew mm-hmm. Hannah and he knew what kind of a girl she is, but still he doesn't suspect her. And he says, all you Koreans come and do this. Uh, even mm-hmm. uh, there, I mean, this is of course in the past, not in 1989, but when they, that street, that whole street, when Yosef describes, he says that, right, in the street, all the Koreans live here and nobody wants to sort of come here or, you know, they think that all these people are outlaws or people who are who do all sorts of wrong things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that his mantra of like, times have changed was a little tough to swallow because I get that he wants to get the lady to sell her property. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? Like the old ways should make new make way for the new ways was his like whole thing. But I feel like the show is trying to say like, what are we without our past? We are what came before. And the love and longing in every like family photo on the expensive piano that um, Sunja has, he feels like no connection to them at all. And I feel like all of us have this moment where we look at old family photos or old photos and we're like, I know that we're supposed to feel like something, 
for these right. people. But I don't I don't know them. Like I never knew them or I was never close to them. And like their stories get lost. And like you and, said, you when Sol- Solomon says that, right? Uh, would your mm-hmm. grandmother, if you if she were here, would you have made her sign? And he mm-hmm. says that no. Actually, that scene doesn't even feel very convincing. It doesn't yeah. even feel mm-hmm. like he's saying it mm-hmm. very sincerely because he doesn't yes. have that kind of till that time he doesn't have that kind of conversations or bond or anything with his grandmother till then. All the time he's only sort of uh, like we discussed earlier. He was only criticizing her. Like, do you think my struggles? I agree. Yeah, I agree that there's I don't know why, but it feels very insincere when he says like, no, don't sign. And she is like, you know, struggling to like even put the pen to paper because, you know, she's like juxtaposing this situation with like a game. And that's like a a running theme throughout the show, like that everything's a game and like pachinko's a game and all this stuff. And she was like, you know, I, mm -hmm, and she was like, I feel like this is a loss basically. Mm -hmm. Even though on paper it looks like I'm winning because they're giving me all this money for my like little spit of land. But because of the way I was treated and how cruelly Koreans were treated back in the day, this vast fortune feels like a loss to me. Because it doesn't in no way make up for what happened. True. And the and like this, all this like grand stuff, all these grand ideas are not quite like, I'm not sold that Solomon he understands. Because he doesn't relate to he that. Wouldn't. And as a young person, I also understand his perspective. He has to believe that if he works hard, if he does his best, he will be given the same opportunities that he deserves he has to believe that there is no discrimination. So I don't see Solomon, and he values money because he knows that new money, and they actually mentioned this word new money, it does bring some status. I don't think Solomon would have said no to his grandmother. Really, he would have said more, sell it, we'll have at least a lot of money. So it was very uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, this I agree. is not how it goes in the yeah. in the book either, right? This is again a scene that is being <laughs> yeah, that, done that's up entirely the drama different. It's, it's entirely different. different but that's, and it's, I understand it's that's again. okay. They wanted to dramatize Five. it. Yeah. yeah, they wanted to dramatize exactly. it but, uh, this way. That is okay. But I'm glad Jessica. Uh, I'm glad Jessica also said that she found it fake because that's the first thing I wrote to you girls, right? Like I found it very contrived, like fake. Suddenly, fake patriotism or his love for motherland is uh, you know rising in him. He's not that kind of a person. He's mm-hmm. been brought up completely different. So it, it just didn't fit in with the narrative. But I understand from the audience perspective why they had to bring that scene in and get that emotional uh, flow in. So, yeah, I get it. That's okay. I am not very critical of that part. Same thing. I am I'm Something okay else. a lot of oh, the changes like these. And I didn't mind it. It's just yeah. that like Jessica caught on naturally, instinctively, that that did not come across as natural or organic. Yeah, so that means mm-hmm. the audience will also feel yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Hana dying of AIDS during the AIDS epidemic. Like, I literally, this sounds terrible, but I could care less because she was introduced late. She was like this mysterious character, like calling Solomon and like teasing her like presence to him because he was like so hung up on her. And at first I thought she was family, but then she's like a stepsister that they turned romantic during their younger days. And I was like, she's not what even a step-sister. relationship. <laughs> she's not even a stepsister. Yeah, they're not even married. <laughs> no. yeah, it's not even like a stepsister by marriage. It was just his 
his father's girlfriend's daughter. Girlfriend's daughter. Yeah, it's like this complex thing. And I'm like, okay, this is too complicated. Like for me, I'm like, if I was adapting this, I'd be like, simplify. So <laughs> then she's like dying of AIDS. She's a terrible person. Like based on the flashback that we get from her, I'm like, why is she even in the show? Because like, you hate to see such an accomplished, interesting character like Solomon with such a cool family past that we want to see more of. You don't want to see him hung up on like this girl because she's like actively getting him in trouble. And like, even though she's sympathetic toward him as like a um, Zainichi, but like, she's like also at the same time, like giving him harsh news, like why are you even trying? Like they don't care for you and all this stuff. So it's like, she's providing like a lot of criticism, but no answers. She's just like, her only answer is, oh, like serve it back to them. Fuck it, you know, fuck them. <laughs> Which I, I just don't like the character. I found her like very annoying. Yeah, because there's no backstory to that angst or that kind of behavior. It's absolutely, I mean, why? Why why would somebody like Solomon be with somebody like her? Tell me the reason. Lost right? in translation basically yes. to the screen. In book, yeah. it is it, 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 I wasn't so vested even in the book, but in book, it still made some sort it of sense. It made sense. sense. Yeah, it yeah. made sense, sense why they were together and, the and why she's uh, part of this So negative. Uh, the screen, yeah. Hana, is a bit... Uh, she is always putting him down and like Jessica said there, there is no solution there is nothing positive that she's saying that you can do this to make this better she doesn't have any kind of those kind of things she's always putting him down Mm -hmm. But the worst thing yeah. that I, I, about Hannah's character on screen, the way they showed to me on uh, Jama, what I didn't like was her telling Sanja that you were the one who drove Solomon away. Actually, that doesn't even happen in the <laughs> book. I mean, neither driving away nor that line. I was like, why? Why do you have to do this? I mean, <laughs> Sanja is such a great positive character and Hannah's this pitiful child she Sanja and Hannah don't have that kind of relationship in the book she's actually very doting and care caring for her and Hannah doesn't behave like that to Sanja she's she's a sweet child even in the book I mean to especially what to the hell yeah she's so, not auntie yeah she's not like that, she's not that Sanja, upset me a lot like, it to Hannah if I were to take a guess and all of that the way Sanja's yeah. art is and the way yes. Hannah is Sanja would only offshower kindness especially to women especially to girls because that's the thing in the book and that doesn't right. come across and she's even so kind to uh, her, Hannah's mom, right? Her son's it's girlfriend. Cool. She's very yeah. kind to her Sanja and she have a very good relationship. So again, what do you see across generations? The relationships between women, they are very supportive of each other because they understand that even his girlfriend has gone through a lot of trouble uh, in her personal mm -hmm. life. And Sanja, again, like Poonam said, the right word is she has empathy for them. So really, that was a very put off scene I was like what, what, and I really going? value this because in general popular culture they would often pit a woman against a woman is it not that's what we are used to seeing but this saga is completely different in the spirit uh, from mother who understands her daughter from a daughter who understands her sister-in-law I mean there are so many such connections spanning four generations mm -hmm. so, speaking of connection let's i'm moving back to reverend Hottie because <laughs> i have this whole i have this whole paragraph in my notes of when he like proposes to her which it wasn't like a overt proposal but you know it was a perfectly quiet 
poignant moment in this conversation at the noodle restaurant where he's like, you know, he, he kind of eggs her on to like tell her story a little bit. And she says like, you know, my child will want for nothing. And she invokes her father's promise and gives this stirring speech about how her father was an outcast too, and that she shouldn't even be here and that she won't give up the baby. And he's so humbled by her and the way that he cautiously and respectfully asks her if she can forsake her homeland and move away with someone else, if she can forget that man, if she could, with enough time, care for somebody else and her acting here, because I think I want, I want to say that she was acting well throughout like this actress, but in this particular point, you see her thinking it over and cry over it. And then ultimately decide, yes, that she is, she can do this. She can, you know, be with him. And for someone so young to do that was impressive. In the book, you can Mm. read inner thoughts of Isak when he's doing the making his proposal. The two sentences that he says that you mentioned, one is, uh, you didn't mention this one, but he also asked in time, can you come to love me as a man and a husband? And the second thing, and he feels very regretful saying this, and can you, with time, can you forget him? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he has to even say it and he just says this one sentence referring to other man and he feels bad about it, but it's so important to him that he actually says it to her. And uh, she, in the book, she uh, she says that she she actually thinks that her answer comes very quickly, yes. She realizes that he has seen him for a while now and he's such a kind man. It would be a very easy thing to love him, you know, so... That uh, restaurant mm. scene where they both eat is actually, that conversation is actually a very good conversation, even in book. I really wanted to see Isak Moria. I should. I really <laughs> like the guy as well as the character. Yes, yes. Biggest complaint, Isak didn't get enough screen time because yes. he's yes. wonderful. His character Same. is beautiful. Even in credits, I, I wanted to see him dance. And even there, you know, I don't see much of him. I love, uh, you know, Kim Minha dancing in that credits. I really like that. And I was like, oh, I actually yeah. paused and tried to see the actor who's playing Isak's dance. He, he just gets barely two scenes there. <laughs> So I'm going to touch on Lee Min Ho's character because I think there's an argument to be made that Lee Min Ho is actually, this is like the best he's ever acted. And I think that you're, one of you said that it wasn't, he he wasn't very convincing as like a villain. And I kind of feel like he was convincing up until he got his own episode. <laughs> and like, he has like his own like tragedy that happens to him. He had like this, he lived through this earthquake. He lost his father. He became a gangster, saved the gangster that was like there with him. It was like this whole thing, this whole backstory that you'd say never happened in the book. Yes. What did you guys feel about that episode? Cause I had really mixed feelings about it. At first I was like, this is really cool. And then I was like, what is this serving? Like, cause I don't think it's his story at all. Like I think it's Sunja's story and her family. And even though like, he's the seed but like why why are we having this whole episode just for like a Lee Ho like showcase before that I want to ask you one question so you said that as a villain was he was convincing till that time so did you really think yeah. that he was a villain till that time did you feel that Absolutely. he had a villainous character okay yeah. why, why did you <laughs> I think so that's about... what I want to know why did you think that yeah. you know, okay. was so, I think that First of all, I feel like the villagers were definitely afraid of him, even though they're like, he gives fair prices. I was like, no, he's like, people are trying to get away from him, like get out of his path. And you can tell that he 
has a lot of experience like already, even though he seems pretty young to me. So, you know, when he shows up and they're like the, you know, officials there are like, oh yeah, you just need to like go say hi to this guy and, you know, give him an envelope every month or whatever. And he was like, I'm not saying hi to him. I'm just giving him an envelope. That's my hello. I was like, okay, I feel you. Like, I understand that he is like a no nonsense kind of dude. Doesn't, doesn't need to show respect where other people do. And I think that he doesn't quite soften to Sundra. Like I've seen Lee Min Ho and other things and I'm like, this is not like soft Lee Min Ho. He is very intimidating. And even though he's like telling her like all these stories, like, oh yeah, I went to America. This is where we are. And this is Japan. And in Japan, you can see all these um, different things and they have like lights and electricity in every house. And he's like talking to her and kind of like manipulating her into believing that he has something that she wants or he is kind of enticing in some way. And I felt that that was very predatory. And as soon as he saw her, he was like, who is that? And I was like, that's very predatory too, because he's watching her and like, you know, keeping tabs on her this whole time before they ever like get together. So I found that like all negative, like very villainous. And then even like when they're together and they like have sex, I'm like, this is not like a an equal relationship. You know what exactly. I'm saying? It never yeah. was. So it never was. It, it never will be. It never came across as romance to me. I was like, this is pro- this is problematic. And she doesn't realize it. And I think that the showrunner should get jail time for that reveal in the episode <laughs> where he says, I thought you knew what this was. I have a family. I have a wife and three daughters. Like when he said that, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Like that was a massive, like I haven't read the book. I, and I didn't even think, oh, he has like a family in Japan. So the reveal for that was like diabolical. (laughs) No, even in the book, it is diabolical. It's the same. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's very same. Very same. So when in the book, it comes, but what you said about Limino's character and his portrayal, right? The actual Kohansu is probably 20 times more. Like Ooh, uh, yeah. the way he's uh, grooming Sanja, you actually yes, feel yeah. the effect a lot more in the book. You see that right from his description in the beginning, where he's uh, talked about as this man in his late 30s who has this com- uh, sort of formidable authority over everybody ar- around in the market, right? So everybody knows Hansu and everybody knows that we have to go through Hansu. And he never makes no bones about the fact that he is quite ruthless. Like even to Sanja, he says that, see, I have to have this power to make some things happen. So I have to show my mm-hmm. power. So he never has this regretful or repentful or he doesn't feel that, okay, I've gone through some bad things. So that is why I'm like, this. he never has that which I felt the drama had a little bit of that with episode seven. Like you said, exactly. Like till that time, probably you don't think about all these things, but with episode seven, sort of try to show him like, okay, this is why he's gray. This is why he's black. I think that that was totally uh, unnecessary. I want to make two points. A, drama did this very subtle shift. When Sanja, he saves Sanja from those uh, Japanese boys uh, that the sexual assault, uh, she... 
tells him she says about washing his shirt or something like that she jokes that are you going to throw it away and then she says i'll wash it she invites him to that beach behind her house where she washes clothes but it's not like that in the book kohanso has her stalked already he already knows her routines he already knows what he's done he suggests that i'm going to meet you there because he has figured out that place is some kind of secluded and he can have her alone to himself and so that's how a grooming by a 36 or 34 year old man of a 16 year old girl happens over a course of few months so that's why because we read the book and maybe if i didn't come from that i would have accepted this amount of villainy but it was actually much more and the second I want that level of villainy. Like I'm all for <laughs> villains being bad, but I want exactly. if they're bad, like make them bad. Exactly. So, exactly. I, exactly. Don't give them know, a backstory. Don't give them a backstory. <laughs> yeah, don't give say. him his own episode. Yeah. yeah. So that episode thing basically shifted my entire thing. Moreover, the backstory doesn't hold up. You know why it doesn't hold up? Because Nimino's character is a yakuja. Somebody who is so well and learned, who is actually tutoring and all of that. That path. they would take different kind even if they have to go to back path they would not take this kind of outright path number 2 on that day where the that kanto earthquake happens that's apparently a famous thing in history in 1920 which i learned after watching drama only on that day everybody possible showed kindness unlike in the book where his father is a drunken father who and, and there are some reminiscences that uh, rivino does that i there was only one to show it my father had and i burned it those things are right from the book and his father is severely punishing him of him in the book there are like one or two instances where he kind of makes these kind of revelations to sanja during his grooming period but he did not have a loving father as you see it in the drama a yakuja showed him yeah. unprecedented amount of kindness that day and he even adopted him as a son so what made you go so wrong that you tell your wife so cruelly that you need don't need to do any you you can be free of your conjugal activities or i have a son you couldn't even give that to me for me that night made really know the actual villain then the rest of the thing did for me then the whole backdrop did mm. for me include i'm going to jump off that because i feel like the final episode also has like a very villainous like moment with him where he it's after um They the father has been arrested yeah. and hansu finally speaks with his son noah noah and asks him why he takes the long way to school he knows all this stuff about noah he's been watching this whole time and little noah says it's because his father liked hearing the piano music from a nearby home and hansu tells him to take the shortcut from now on and don't be a fool and there's this fundamental difference between the men that the reverend hadi is a compassionate dreamer while hansu is a heartless realist absolutely and i love that conversation that he has with little noah and this is like very formative in my opinion because we still don't know what the hell happened to noah right for the show season 2 will true. bring us more of noah because he's a very important character and a character very important worth, character worth watching Moreover, uh, mm-hmm. in book, Isak and Hansu never meet like they do in the drama. By the way, and where he is so, um. you know, he's so denigrating of uh, of Isak. You don't know how to wear suits. Like, yeah, this is the most important thing I look for when I choose a man in my life. What kind of suits do you wear? Yeah, it was a very I don't want to say half-baked insult, but it felt like it had they placed more meaning on it than maybe the audience saw in it. 
and like they were trying to get cute with it you know what i'm saying like trying to get fresh with the symbolism and like the represent like the all these layers to this conversation that he has in the suit shop in the tailor shop and i'm like i don't care like they didn't need to meet Exactly. In my opinion, they didn't need to meet. <laughs> exactly. Even the way the drama flowed. They don't meet. They yeah. Meet. But they don't meet. They don't meet. They don't need to And meet. they were trying to portray where Eamon was feeling this jealousy, insecurity mm-hmm. with uh, Issa. I don't think Hans was a character cared less about these feelings, to be very honest. He was very yeah, obsessed about the control of Sanja. He couldn't That's have cared. Why he would yeah, he, didn't, he doesn't care. He would follow multiple generation and countries as well. Probably because he cared mm-hmm. badly for the son and he had three daughters in fact when he tells sanja for the yeah. first time that i have a family in the book he tells her we can live together i'll take care of you with whatever you want we can have more children like he wants more children with her you know that's how he sees sanja <laughs> yeah Child she's just a uh, you know yeah, yeah. childbearer son bearer son bearer was not like, that's not quite right Yes, a sun bearer. Yeah, she's basically that's like a concubine that's like giving him exactly. sons. That's versus, how he. Like, that's how he talks to her. Daughters. Actually, that is that is what he proposes to her, saying that you can yeah. be you can be here and yeah. I can look after you and you can be my second family sort of a thing and I will yeah. live with my wife and my family. In drama. So that's exactly what he says to her in the book. In drama, she replies very well to him. Though she tells him, "You are only offering me a life of shame or something on those lines." She tells she he, yeah. he tells her. I was offering you so much, and she said, "No, you offered me just shame." I I like that. Yeah. She's it was said with quite strength. Yeah. So we're coming up on the end of the show. I feel like we've touched on so much. There's definitely way more that we can talk about, but we can't be here like all day talking about this show. I know it, like we all have things to do. And like, I mean, honestly, like the conversation could go on. So I have some unanswered questions that maybe you guys can answer. So what the hell happened with Sunja's first son, Noah? There seemed to be bad blood there. He's cut off from the family, but why is he still alive? Did he side with his bio? Biological father Hans. You can't say you cannot tell. Okay. But we and you are the right questions to ask. You are thinking about the right character, which is what okay. I'm very happy about. <laughs> Perfect. So, is the businessman with a sordid family history, like Yoshi, I think his name was, is he related to Hansu? No. He is nowhere in the book, so I don't even what? know. There is a new character that they hooked up, so I don't know. I mean, okay. I, they can write whatever they want, right? Okay. Yeah. Did Hana actually die before reaching this random Hawaii trip that Solomon was going to take her on? It seemed like they were like sweet dreams, and I'm like, did she just die right here on the helicopter pad? She dies just like that. Solomon was not yeah, in the no There's nobody there. Yeah. There's just one line written saying that he never saw her again. That's all. Okay, um, does Solomon succeed in muscling out the old lady that's sitting on her plot of land and taking revenge on the company Shifley's or whatever it was? That is not. It takes a very different route. Yeah, it's it's very different. So. I'm dying. The deal falls through because the old lady dies. So what? Yes. And 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 Solomon 
So Solomon loses his job because of this mess up. It is not what how they've shown. Yeah. He doesn't tell her not to yes. fight. He actually loses a job oh because she dies suddenly. God. <laughs> so, otherwise it just ruins so that's, <laughs> because even that's why I think Solomon feels so weird that, that is why we feel mm-hmm. Solomon is so weird because he's absolutely nothing I mean whatever he does on screen also doesn't I mean in this adaptation also it doesn't sound convincing or uh, yeah. natural by the way Jessica you're mm-hmm. cheating a bit asking us things which have not even happened on the drama <laughs> yeah I know I did <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um. It's like, you know, when I'm impatient, I go and check out the last episode of the drama just to know which way it ends so that I can watch the rest of it in peace. I'm basically reading the last page of the book and like trying to like get a sense of like what's coming next. But I think you guys left a lot up to like season two of the show to explore and yeah. hopefully it's a good season two. I know you guys had a lot of qualms for season one and I, I have my qualms too. Like, that wasn't a perfect show. Two, Jessica. The good parts that we missed Fingers didn't crossed. make it to the screen. Some of them like Kyunghi and Sunja, Noah and Esak. These are the parts we would, these are... Even Mozasu's yeah. character yeah. is very interesting. Mozart. They've shown him in this, but it is, I mean, there's not so much to his character. He's in a shadow. Season one. In so season I hope... One. Yeah, so I hope they Mozasu uh, do Mozasu's some more story with is also very nice. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Actually Mozasu okay. his story with his uh, with Solomon's mom, his wife, now with now the Japanese right. other Japanese girlfriend, it's all very nice. It will come through hopefully. Oh, I want to see it because I initially thought that was Noah, right? Like I thought that was the first son, but no, no, you know, yeah. psych out. That was not the case. I had a question <laughs> Meena and Sarita. If we were not so unhappy with Kohansu portrayal, would it, would it improve our watching experience of the TV series? I think Kohensu has is the one who's making it hardest for us. Yeah, yeah I think so. Because um, for me, in the book, he was such a charismatic character. Though he was such a strongly negative character, he had a strong presence throughout the book. You could feel his shadow even as the story progressed. You could see that when some things were happening, you could see that, okay, Hansu surely has a hand in this. And then when the story progresses and it actually reveals that, okay, Hansu had a hand in this, you feel like, okay, I knew it because this guy is like this. So that, uh, I think, I don't know, it didn't happen to that level in season one, at least the setting and their experience. I mean, the writing of the character and expectation setting, I think that did not happen in season one. So probably, yeah. Jessica, I have a question for you. Uh, for me, I do mm-hmm. think for for all my Soju Water rating and everything, I do think it is in terms of uh, making a drama, like in my filmmaking, it's, it's well done, uh, well edited. It's very hard to follow so many timelines together. We were able to do that. So the craft does show. But what didn't work for me, that dark, low lighting for most part of the show, that just depressed me. But did it not bother you or did you expect to watch it in that those kind of shooting tones? No, I didn't think twice about the lighting of it, like being too dark or anything. I actually thought maybe about halfway through the show that they were doing too much editing back and forth between right. 1989 yeah. and yes. I was like this is getting very especially confusing. the last was, two, uh, one or two episodes like episode six and eight ha- had very heavy back and forth because they're mm-hmm. trying to cover like, a lot more quickly maybe they thought that season two is never yeah. coming or it's coming so far enough I don't know what they thought <laughs> but they were trying to cover a lot 
Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to cover a lot. But anyway, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. You guys have blown my mind multiple times throughout the show. Sorry. the positive. Yeah, we didn't want to be a little bit of a bashing, but that's okay. I mean, we're all here to have fun. And I know that you guys greatly respect the source material. And that's I respect that, too. So I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the show (laughs) and for expounding on the differences between the book and the TV adaptation. And for, you know, you did say positive things about the show, so that's good. I love that you guys came at it kind of like the same, but like you guys had almost like different positive things to say, which was really good. And so did I. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, For those who don't know, like, where can we find you online? So we are, our podcast is on all platforms. Uh, It's Crash Landed on K-Dramas. We also have our Insta and Twitter page. And I will share that links with you so you can put them in the episode notes for the listeners. Yes, absolutely. I will have all of your info in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow them on Instagram at Crash Landed on K-Dramas and listen to their podcast because obviously we're all friends here. K-Drama world is big enough for everybody and like, (laughs) This is, you know, Debak has gone like global, which is crazy. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. Been a, Thank you, Jessica. It's quite a ride. Yes. You guys are welcome back. That's been our show. Uh, hopefully we come back for a happier drama. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes, hopefully yes. we do come back for happier drama so that we're not... Actually, like, so you nice should come like, over. Yeah. You should come over now so that yes. we, we can discuss one happy drama. <laughs> yes. That's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been the ATC Presents Beba K. Rambles podcast. When I think of all the worries people seem to find And how they're in a hurry to complicate their minds by chasing after money and dreams that can't come true i'm glad that we are different we've better things to do may others plan their future i'm busy loving you one two three four don't worry that tomorrow